Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight TV show. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight and we have a very special one for you today. Before I introduce our guests, I'm going to say that the topic is game inventing. So what does that mean, game inventing? It could be a board game, it could be a card game, it could be a dice game. That's what we're talking about today. And we've teamed up with game expert Ed Garten, and he'll have an opportunity to brag about all the stuff he's done in a minute or two here because it's pretty damn impressive. And our InventRight coach, April Mitchell, who also has a lot of experience in the game industry and their best buds, and it's great to have you guys on here today. And, oh, did I mention that we are doing an InventRight course called InventRight Masterclass with Ed and April. It's going to be absolutely amazing. So by listening to them talk about what we're going to teach, you know, it doesn't matter if you sign up for this Masterclass or not. You're going to learn about what you need to think about when you're developing a game. And if you want more information about the Masterclass, down below in the description, you can get that. So, Ed, let's, let's hear about why you are so great and you have so much experience in this area. Let's hear it, man. Um, absolutely. So one of the things I think that, so let's just start with this, like everyone thinks they're a game designer and a hundred percent back in 2000, I thought I was a game designer and I was like, I got this, no big deal, blah, blah, blah. And I joined a company called Decipher Trading Card Games and I managed their art department and I ran the art department for them, which included 10 in-house people and 70 outside freelancers. And we made trading card games like Lord of the Rings. Uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, Dot Hack, Beyblade, Austin Powers, you name it. Any licensed trading card game was probably coming out of Decipher during that time. And when I walked into that door, I was sure of myself. And let me just tell you that I worked with the best in the industry, and they took me down a couple notches. But then they built me back up, and they taught me some things, right? So at the beginning of my career, I came out of school. I had what I thought was a really excellent education, still do. But I just, there are things you learn over the years from the people you work with, from the people you know, that just aren't taught in school. They aren't taught in books. And a lot of that is just finding the right person, connecting with them, and listening, right? Mm -hmm. And from Decipher, I went to Swimways and I did outdoor recreational products, family products, pool products, beach products, camping products. And I managed the art department there and we made a lot of really cool stuff, um, won some awards. It was awesome. And I did about seven years there, and then Toys R Us rang up, and you really don't turn down a call from Toys R Us. And so they said, what we want you to do is design and develop all the products for EduScience and Animal Planet. And then once I got there, they were like, can you take on Imaginarium too? And so they had 33 private label brands at Toys R Us, and I was managing three of them, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it was hundreds of millions of dollars. So we had about 72 running feet in Toys R Us between me and my team, and we would develop some of the top performing products. One of the last products I designed for Toys R Us was the number one private label product at Toys R Us in its final years. And it was a product I designed called a train table. So Toys R Us had a private label train table under the Imaginarium brand. Um, But there were other ones, right? I run the People's Choice Award for this smoke breathing dragon I did. Uh, You know, there there were numerous things that happened to Toys R Us that were really cool. And then there were partnerships. I was meeting all sorts of really incredible people. And through those partnerships that I met at Toys R Us, I was able to grow my network, learn more things. You know, I've been traveling to China for well over, I don't know, 14, 15 years now. So it's been a while, you know, I've seen a lot of things there, but in the US, you kind of just want to know, hey, who's doing what and how do I get in contact with them? And 
man, that was Toys R Us. Toys R Us was a networking opportunity you couldn't buy. And I met so many people and learned so many things during my time there that when I left Toys R Us, um, I went to another company, a science company called GeoWorld, and I was the VP of operations there, plus the global product development design director. And for, you know, while there, we made a ton of more products. Mm-hmm. And I would have stayed there for a while, except Hasbro rang me up and they said, hey, man, do you want to lead the Monopoly team? Ed, I have to stop you there. It sounds like you have very little experience. I'm not sure you're the right person for this. I'm just kidding. I, I but I, you know what I really liked about what you said at the beginning was, you know, I thought I knew 20 plus years ago what I was doing and I realized I didn't. But over that period of time, man, I've learned a lot. Yeah. I love and it. I, I, I can credit all the people I've worked with, all the people I've talked to. You know, all the people that are still in my network today, which is making me smarter and sometimes humbling me and sometimes lifting me up. And it's like that. Right. And I've put 22 plus years into learning what I know today. And I've just had like really great opportunities. Now, now why? And, so why do you want to share this with the, with our audience? And why do you want to share this with our InventRight students? Do you, do you have a passion for teaching, educating, mentoring? Like why? So you could just keep doing this yourself. You know what the hell you're doing. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Do you, what do you tell Talk a little bit about that. I know April, she's an event right coach. She loves mentoring people, but do you as well? Oh, I do. I absolutely do. And if honestly, if you go to LinkedIn and you look at my profile and you read some of the recommendations, everyone that I've managed over the years talks about how I've coached them, how I've helped them, how I taught them. And then, you know, we've done some videos together and that opened up another network and that network has reached out and I've helped some of those people as well. And also I teach, I coach people game design one-on-one. So I've been doing that. And the reason kind of to do all this is the reason that anyone would give back. It's like you love this industry. You know there are more opportunities than you could ever capture. To think that you don't want to tell anyone because they might be in competition is to not realize how huge the opportunities are. Mm. And let's just make the industry better. So every time I interact with somebody, I'm like, how can I help? And then I was like, you know, the best way to help is to try and do more than one by one, but to do like one by something, right? And to grow that. Mm. And that's where I thought, who could I do that with? Who could I talk to? And you guys have an amazing program. April's bragged about it for a long time now. And I was like, April, because we talk, we chat, we brainstorm, we, you know, we touch base. And I was like, April, what if we did this with InventRight? Like, what if we did this idea that we kind of have? Take some of the learnings, take some of the stuff that I've talked to you about over the years, take our notebooks, take all the things, coalesce this into a course, and then share this wide. Yeah. And how could we do that? And that's why. And you have you have been April's mentor in, in games, correct? April. He's, he's Is he bad. any good, April? Is he any he's, good? He's been a huge part of my my growth and, and my development, right, as a, as a uh, game developer and designer. So I met Ed several years ago, I don't know, four or five years ago i don't know i have to would have to figure that out do the math but um that is just been so amazing um pouring into me and other inventors giving great feedback and and teaching and so i've taken that right and i i've learned on my own and and taken feedback from other people and try different things well you say it this way but but i feel like i need to go this way right so so you've mm-hmm. got to take all that learn that feedback learn it take your own experience and build upon it, right? So I've been doing that. And then, of course, that mentorship has developed into a friendship. And then Ed and I have worked on some projects together. And we've done some webinars for InventRight together on pitching and, and things like that. So we have a lot of fun together. 
and we thought this would be a lot of fun together. And of course, my background is actually teaching and I coach with Inventorite, like Andrew said. So it just made sense to do it together and pull our pull our forces together. And um, well, let, so let's get into the weeds. Let's talk about what you guys are going to be teaching in this Inventorite Masterclass. And even if you guys don't sign up for the Masterclass or you're not an Inventorite student or what have you, you're going to learn a lot because Ed's going to give you the criteria, right, Ed, for what you should be thinking about when you design. And, and we're not just talking about licensing stuff. I know InventRight's all about licensing and the business side of things. But Ed's going to get into, like, these are things you need to think about when you design and develop a game. Again, a board game, a card game, a dice game. Am I missing any types of games there, Ed? Is there any I others? mean, we just wrapped it like, under the umbrella of tabletop gaming, tabletop, which is different right. than digital gaming. But, you know... What you're talking about are kind of the vehicles, right? Those are the mechanics. So we break it down like that a little bit. April and I have worked differently over the years, and one of the ways that we find is really fun is to come up with a, a name, right? So we might come up with a name for a product. Um, like the other day I was talking about fishes doing dishes. And as soon as you say a name, you kind of just say, oh, my God, I already know what that is. And what you mm -hmm. know, you might say, well, I think that's a preschool game. And I might say, well, that's a player judge game. That's a Cards Against Humanity wordplay type of game. And April might say, oh, my God, it's a set collection card game, right? Mm -hmm. And just by using that one theme, you can take it out across multiple different iterations of mechanics. So what we're going to talk about is themes and creating an experience. And then we're going to pivot, and we're going to say, let's work the other way. Let's work about mechanics, dynamics, and aesthetics. So... What are the mechanics involved in this? Well, we want to do a set collection game. Great. What's the theme we should layer on top of a set collection game? What are we collecting? You know, we've seen that where we look at card games that are from way back in the day, and you say, oh, that's a trick-taking game. Bridge. Bridge is a trick-taking game. Hmm. Game of the Year, The Crew, trick-taking game. Very, very different looking, right? Our audience is probably like, Ed, I have no idea what that means. But, 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 but I'm listening. <laughs> well, the underlying mechanic is the same, but the theme is different. Right? Mm. And then if you layer in another mechanic, like the crew did, which is you can't talk to anyone. You can't communicate with anyone. Well, then it's not bridge. What is it, you know? Mm. And you can take these mechanics and you can say, I'm going to add in dice rolling. So I'm going to add in a randomizer, right? So we're going to start with themes and experiences, and we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about mechanics, dynamics, and aesthetics. So dynamics is the interaction, right? How do these things work together? We're going to figure out, like, oh, if if we're three players or four players or five players, what is that going to do? How is that going to work together? What are we going to talk about, right? And then once we've done that, we're going to say, cool, we understand the two methods to get there. And then we're going to bring in a third method, right? So we're going to say, hey, what about brainstorming? What if you just start with nothing? And it's just random foo babble, and then suddenly you're like, oh, I hit upon an idea. And it comes from any direction. Ed, Ed I'm just getting the feeling here, just a feeling that there is a methodology and a science to game inventing. I don't know why. I'm just I'm getting that feeling from you, and there, there and that people can. I'm just going to say it, and you tell me if I'm right. Dramatically increase their chances of success by following these methodologies and the science of game inventing to brainstorm, ideate, create, develop, analyze all that. Is that absolutely true? Okay. Yeah. And I and I think like what you're highlighting is is one of the important facts about it is. People will come to us, you know, independently. April and I have talked about this and say, I have this game. And, like, it's precious. Like, it's the only idea they'll have. Mm. 
And I think it's because they had a spark of an idea in one of those moments, those brainstorming moments, the shower, the car, the early morning, and it just came to them like a full-fledged idea. Mm-hmm. And they didn't understand where the inspiration came from, which is the other aspect we're going to talk about, right? And they didn't understand how to take something and build on it. And so they weren't doing theme experience. They weren't doing mechanics dynamics. They weren't doing inspiration and iteration. And then suddenly they were like, I don't know. I just got this game. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say, yeah, that's awesome. But we're going to teach you how to do that again and again and again and again and iterate and pivot and redesign and rethink and really take the game, maybe any idea you have, right? So you could just say, I'm going to do a game about weightlifting. And we say, cool, right? Well, what is the aspects of weightlifting? Let's build this game, right? And we can say it's weights, it's lifting. Well, it's more than that. It's competition. It's more than that. And you can build a game about it. You can do that about anything, and we're going to teach people to do that. Mm-hmm. April, were you, you – you met quite a while ago. You think four or five years ago. Were you doing it, in your opinion, wrong? And then you looking at the way Ed was doing Not wrong, but is his approach better than maybe what you were doing on your own before you met him? Well – it's amazing because just like Ed says, when when someone first has this idea, they have, I, I started the same way where like, oh, I have the idea. I'm going to make a game about this. But I didn't, I didn't do all of the different iterations of it, right? I had the idea mm. and this is how it should be, right? And then we play tested it and okay, it would work out and it would be fun. But what if I took that one game idea and I made three different games from that one main idea and then I pulled the best parts from each of those different games to make a whole new game. Oh. And so that's what I learned is your first game idea, it shouldn't just stop there. It should be yeah. developing. It should you need to do individual, you know, play testing by yourself just to see if the mechanics work out. And then you play test with others and and you know, one of the things that um we talk about is questionnaires, right? You want to be make sure that the people play testing your game can follow directions without you explaining it. You should be able to hand them your game with directions and they just be able to play it. If not, something is not getting across right. So that's something we're gonna touch on and we're going to you know, give people these questionnaires to, to be able to give to the people play testing. So I, I don't think that there's necessarily a right or wrong way. I a lot of times have a name or a theme and sometimes I start with mechanics um, like Ed, Ed does. So I, I do it differently depending on the idea, but mm-hmm. now I know I can jump from one to the other and I can take that one theme and say, okay, I'm going to think of three different ways to use this, three different sets of mechanics for this whole theme, or I can take a mechanic and and come up with three or four different games from it and then decide on the theme. So right. I've, learned to be, I've learned to evolve, I guess the question is. I don't know that there's actually always a right or wrong, but to know the different ways to start out is good, and to know that you your game should evolve each time is important. It shouldn't just always be what you start at. Yeah, and what are the consequences of not doing this, Ed? Are you just gonna are you gonna hinder your success dramatically if you don't do? And you got some other guys. You have some other things to share too. That's just the first one. But. Yeah. So um, one of the things I just want to speak to something that April said that I think is understated is that. There isn't a wrong way to do it, but what April has is a larger toolbox, right? So she knows she can go into her tool set and she can make a game on any day. April's a professional inventor and professional inventors can't just hope it happens, right? They have to work at it. And she's been working at it for years and years and developing her tools. And she has her methodology and I have my methodology and we've talked about the slight differences, 
But all of the things that we're teaching are basically just adding to the toolbox, right? So mm -hmm. you might say, as an inventor, you might say, oh my God, I've got an inspiration for a game. I was watching my kids the other day. They were playing in a really unique way, and I think that could be a game. And then you just cross your fingers, they do it again. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like it's like, well, I want to be a plumber. And it's like, well, I had this one plumbing situation where my solution is just to take duct tape and put it around the pipe. And that's like an inventor with the game. And it's like, that's just my solution. And you're giving them all these other tools. No, you can use a wrench. You could use this glue. You could use these other connections. And it's just just to use duct tape for everything is really not making you a very good plumber. It's right. half ass. It's like but maybe the duct tape worked. Right. So Maybe, like, oh, but but you you have a very small tool chest, and it's gonna there's gonna be some clients where it doesn't work in certain situations, yeah. Yeah. and and you're you're not really a very good plumber if you put everything right. together with duct tape, <laughs> right? And you're and you're not gonna get the callbacks, yeah. And that's the other side of game inventing that we aren't really gonna approach a lot in this course. But when you demonstrate your ability to do this, you can get hired just as a game designer. And I know April's had success with that too, where. She demonstrates through her inventor relationships that she knows what she's doing. And then companies will come back to her and say, hey, listen, we've got a challenge. Can you sort it out for us? And that's another opportunity because you demonstrated you knew what you're doing. If you're the plumber with a roll of duct tape, people are going to be like, well, he's okay for that thing, but I wouldn't call him. Whereas mm -hmm. if you're the plumber that's like, I've got the whole box of tools, not only are you inventing, but you might also be designing. And you might also just like, you're going to be more successful. And, and April has demonstrated that in such a great way where... When we first met, you know, I, I loved her ideation, I loved her ideas, I loved her passion, but her grit, her determination, and her evolution has allowed her in the past year to license so many games. Like, that's not by accident. That's mm. because she learned it. She figured it out. She okay, listened, so, she so what, uh, what, uh, what else are you going to be teaching people in this program? What else should be people listening that are doing games? What else should they be thinking about? Well, so one of the things that we find, so we're going we're gonna to talk and mechanics, dynamics, aesthetics, all that stuff goes deep. And we're going to talk about it in a deep way. And then April talked about the self-play testing, right? So that's also a formal part of the process. And, and April mentioned, I believe, like, you need to have a sheet that you're filling out, that you're measuring against, so it's not an arbitrary decision, right? Because these aren't arbitrary decisions. Did it work? Did it not work? Do I need to pivot? Did it advance the theme? Did it advance the gameplay? Was there a negative play experience? That's another tool. That tool is how you measure your game, right? You yeah. don't want to just be like, I think it's great. You yeah. want to be able to measure it against something and say, I think it is great because I'm measuring it against this other marker that I've determined over time, hmm. right? And I've made a game and I measured it and it, it was basically a, let's call it an arbitrary four. And I've measured this game and people love it and I'm going to call it a six. And I can see the aspects because I'm writing down certain things that they love and then I can take those things and put them in the next game. Mm. Right. So maybe you don't do well with a competitive game environment, but you do incredibly well with a collaborative game environment. Mm. And so you start building mechanics to make collaborative games, or maybe you don't do well with family games, but you're crushing it in preschool games. And that's when, you know, inventors will say, what should I invent? And I'll say, I can't tell you, you know, because you're going to determine that. But you need to kind of know that by measuring it, what you document, you know, the data says, I've licensed 16 family games and not a single adult game. Well, either you're gonna to wanna to work on adult games or you wanna just specialize, you know? And so we're gonna teach them how to measure this. We're gonna teach them how to look at play tests, how to self play test, how to get other people play testing. We're gonna give them a document. We're gonna give them a play test questionnaire and a game creators questionnaire, you know, so that they can continue to do that after they've met with us. 
And we're going to talk to them about like when you bring in the graphics, when you write the rules, mm. right? People are like, well, this is how my game works. Okay, but that's a lot different than writing the rules that you have to hand over. Mm. And how do you write the rules so that somebody can take the rules and understand your game? And to be honest, like, you know, that's something that is a challenge for inventors. And there's specialists in these game companies that do it, writing it in a way that's understandable. And, you know, you don't have to be perfect, but you need to be able to turn over your prototype and the company you're licensing it to or the people that are playtesting it need to be able to read the rules independently, follow the rules, understand the rules and playtest the game. It sounds like there's a lot of development work that you have to do if you're a professional game inventor. Somebody comes up with, oh, I got this new kitchen cutting board. Well, I'll make this modification. It's like, okay, I'm going to do a virtual prototype and I'm done. But there's more work involved with games. You know, oh, and if you don't more. do that work, you're going to be less likely to be successful. You're going to be off the mark. Companies that, because it's about relationships in the game business, right? They won't right. ask you to come back because they'll see you're kind of limited. You're the duct tape inventor, right? You're not... You're not looking at all different angles. You're not flexible. And I think you mentioned earlier, you have to be very flexible with making changes. Is, have you ever pitched a game where they're like, we just like it as is? I mean, my guess is, I'm just guessing, I'm not an expert like you in this area, 99 times out of 100 or 99.9 .9 times, there's a bunch of changes going to be made. Is that true? Yeah, I would say a bunch of changes. But I would also say that even professional game inventors iterate. Right. You could be Reiner Kinesa. You could be all of the top people. Right. You could be Klaus Teuber. You could be any of these people that have made games that we've been playing, like the inventor of Catan. Right. He iterated. He had something. He thought it was great. He play tested it. He took the feedback. He iterated. So whether you're doing it or the company's doing it, everyone is just trying to make the best product possible because nobody wants to invest all this time, market and sell this game and then have it be a flop. So it could be amazing when you deliver it. It's still going to be play tested. It's still going to be tweaked. They may come back to what you delivered, but they're going to try it a bunch of different ways. Okay. So let's, let's hit any other major things that game inventors need to be aware of that you're going to teach in the course and people can just become aware of by listening to at least an overview right here on this video. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, we're definitely going to talk about the marketing materials. So we're going to show what a pitch deck should look like, and it's going to be uh, editable. So people can have the base of the pitch deck, and then they can turn it into their own. And, of course, what, what a sell sheet should look like. What do you need on a sell sheet? And something that I teach often is flip over the back of game boxes, and everything that's on the back of a game box is mm. what you need to have in your sell sheet. It's just not going to look exactly the same. So you need all that information on your sell sheet. And then of course a pitch video, which is super huge. And I, I know um, Ed would agree too, is you just, you cannot sell a game without a pitch video. You mm. gotta show people having fun and enjoying the game um, and, and the basics of how to play the game, right? So we're gonna show, we're gonna talk about the views you want for the video, like the different angles and views and up closes and far aways and all that kind of stuff. So you're not just, when we say a video, you don't just play the video or play the game and show a five minute video of part of the game. No, we want to cuts in and out of the fun, all the fun and the things happening. So we're gonna go into that deep. So when the course is finished, people will have a pitch deck, a sell sheet. They should have a sizzle video ready to pitch everyone. And then the grand finale, and what, what are we gonna do with all of that information? Well, and, and yeah, so we 
are going to ask them to send in their games, and April and I are going to sit down, evaluate all the games, and give them the kind of feedback they've been looking for from all these other people that it's just really challenging to give them. And so we're going to evaluate every game, we're going to give them feedback, and then we're going to ask them to pitch their games to us in a bonus week nine. If they want to sign up, we'll be there, and we'll just accept everyone that wants to sign up and pitch their game to us, and then we'll give them feedback on their pitches. Um, but I just want to touch on one more thing that you kind of asked, Andrew, because, I mean, like, we are so excited, and you keep saying, what else can we teach them? And there's just so many details, but one of the details that April and I talked about is graphics. Okay. And so... When do you apply graphics? What level mm. should the graphics be? And how do you apply graphics? And then the consumer user experience on the graphics. And a classic example is cards. A lot of times people don't give a lot of thought to their cards in their card game. Mm. And you know, if you look at like just a regular deck of playing cards, you see that the, the nine is, is top and bottom corner, right? You look at Uno, you see something like that. And then you pick up some of these games and it's just, it doesn't invert, right? And so that's a problem. Or you pick up some of these games and it doesn't take colorblind people into account, mm. right? And you're like, well, great, but this game really relies on me understanding the difference between these two cards and you've made them red and green or you've done these mm -hmm. things. So we're really gonna dive deep into graphics too and counsel people not to spend a bunch of money on graphics on the front end. Mm. So, I mean, there, it, it's just one thing after another that they could be considering from start to finish. And then we are gonna evaluate their games and we are gonna give them the feedback and hopefully out of this course, they're just like, oh man, I feel like I've just gotten a whole new tool belt and I can just start designing games all day. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, April and I will chat and it's like 20 new game ideas. No big deal. You, you know, one thing, you guys comment on this. The one thing I've noticed over the last 22 years of doing EventRite is there is no inventor more passionate, this g generic statement, than a game inventor. And I think the reason for that is they play it, they're excited, they get their family involved, and their family's like, this is great, and they're, and they're getting constant reinforcement with their family, with a lot of inventors aren't with their other products, but they're getting it, game inventors are getting that with their family. And now that's a great thing, but the negative part is it becomes fixed in their brain what that game is, and they don't have the flexibility and the iterations and the versions, they don't have the training that you're talking about. So that could be a negative part for, for inexperienced game inventors. And I think the earlier thing you talked about, iterations, changing, be willing to be flexible, is one of the most important things you shared today. And measuring um, yourself against something. So don't arbitrarily say, I'm a baker because people love my cupcakes. But we have a process for evaluating how good are your cupcakes. Got it. And then you can decide if you're a baker. You know? My family says it's great, Ed. I know it's great. They all say it's great. And you should open a bakery. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and the, the main thing with all of this, Andrew, is taking what can be years of learning, growth, feedback, experience, all of that, and putting it into eight weeks of crazy hardcore knowledge, experience, Ed's experience of 20-some years, my experience, um, and and putting it all in one place for a short, limited time, and they're gonna learn and grow so much faster than they would if they're just doing mm. this out on their own and getting feedback from one company here and a couple companies over here and taking one, you know, watching one webinar here and that, all that is great. But if you can condense that and put it all into one spot, all in one place in a short period of time, their growth is just gonna skyrocket. And guys, if you do this program, 
they're going to make you do work. But um, Stephen and I know Ed and April are fun. Ed is a, a jokester. He's fun. And I know he's going to keep it fun. But at the same time, he's all about work. He's all about hitting those details. He's not going to go easy on you, but he's a fun dude. Um, so I think you guys would really enjoy it. Um, I, I've met, to be honest with you, I've met some game inventors and, and toy inventors, and they're not that they're not all fun. They're kind of a little uptight. So don't assume that because you're doing games and toys that you're fun. Some of them are like anxious and, and Ed's fun. And um, and your experience is amazing, dude. I mean, it's like, but I also like your humble nature. And you're like, I thought I knew what I was doing 20 years ago. I realized I didn't, but I learned. And now I know, and I want to share that information with you guys. And that's pretty cool because, you know, it's, you're going to make a lot more money inventing toys and stuff. I think you have something inside you. I know April does. That's why she's an invent right coach where you want to share with others. And you're, you're not just like squirreling away everything, you know, and I'm not going to share with anybody. I'm going to tell anybody about this or that. And you had mentioned that early on. Um, can you talk just very briefly about being out there, being out there in front of companies, in front of potential licensings, being open to change, can you talk about that and, and getting rid of inventor paranoia just a little bit? Um, sure, and, and yeah. April can as well because she's definitely had some experiences that we've talked about where, so uh, that I would love for her to share. But so one of the things I want to talk about, um, I would love to share is there's a feeling of imposter syndrome. So most new inventors are like, I don't even think I'm an inventor. And I just want to share that like over 22 years, there's not a single person that's professional in this industry that hasn't felt it, that I haven't talked to that hasn't said it, right? But if you keep doing it, then you're an inventor, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to give you a certificate or a title or whatever. You determine if you're an inventor. If you're good or bad, your work determines that. But you're not an imposter if you're coming up with ideas and making prototypes and making inventions, right? Mm. On the other side of that, sometimes we stand in front of people and we're so proud that we're an inventor and we're so proud that we've got an idea that we're like, you can't tell me any changes because I'm an inventor. Hmm. And that's okay if you never want to license anything. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> but if you actually want to make money as an inventor, it's a partnership. Hmm. And these, these inventor relations people that you're meeting with, these marketing directors sometimes, these product development directors – all of them want to make money and help you make money. And the, they're not making suggestions that they don't think would be beneficial to everyone. It's a partnership. It's teamwork. You have an idea. You bring the idea in. They have experience. They add experience. They give you suggestions based on that experience. Everybody wins. Right? So you're going to give people the mindset they need to be in to be successful, to actually license products. And for the inventions relations people at these companies to want to continue to work with you as a person. So just by doing these things in the way you work with your products, it'll make people go, oh, they're a pro instead of they're going to be a pain in my butt. Exactly. Yeah. And, and to add on that too is you get to that point where, where that inventor relations person wants that product or a product to work out just as much as you do because they appreciate you keep coming back to them with new ideas. They know that, Every time they talk with you, you're gonna be closer, you know, to meeting their needs, or you find some that that hit the mark, but they couldn't make it happen, right? They just couldn't make it happen. They fought for it. They're like, oh man, I pitched this one, I wanted this one so bad, I thought this was the right fit for us too, but it, you know, so and so didn't, 
you know, so you're going to find that when we show up as professionals, that person is going to want it just as much as you. They want to work with you. They want to find a winner product with you as well. So, and th that goes a long way when, when you, when they say, oh, I'm sorry, this one didn't work out, or I, I want this one to happen, or it's going to be the next one, April or whoever, right. Then, you know, you're doing a good job. Then, you know, you're showing up, you're evolving. That's they get great. you, you're a professional eventer. You're not that person bugging them that, that won't be flexible, right. That, that, um, tries to, convince them why they should do it or why they're wrong, right? You don't want to be that person, but you want to keep showing up with things that um, fit their product line. So yeah. one, one last question. So let's say somebody's watching this video and this is good. This course is going to be for current and former event rights students. And eventually maybe we'll open it up to the public. But um, if, if they were intrigued by this and they're like, well, I'm very creative, but I, I've never done a board game before. And I don't have any ideas for board games now. Could they take this program? Are you going to help them develop board games in this program? A hundred percent. This could okay. be the first time they make a board game. It'd be fine. They don't have a board game at the end of this program. Okay, cool. Cool. That's good. Not just for people that already have a board game. Well, in fact, I want them to make new board games. So the people that have board games and they're like, I just want to iterate. I'm like, awesome. Take the tools we teach you and iterate. But during this class, I want you to invent. Yeah, good, good. That's great. So come up with a new board game because we don't call this iterate right. We call this invent right. There you go. I like it. I love it. I love it. So guys, um, down below in the description, if you want more information about the program, click in the description in YouTube down below. Ed, you're, you're, you're a fun guy. You're a knowledgeable guy. You've got a lot of experience. Um, you you want to help. I don't think every board game inventor or toy inventor out there is one. They, sometimes they want to do their own thing. But you're one of those rare guys that's like, I want to help others as well. And I think that's great. And I already know April's like that because she's an event right coach. She's amazing. Her students just go on and on about how great she is and how helpful she is. So I'm so happy to have you two. And you guys are buds. And you guys are going to do this program. And, you know, at InventRight, we're all about the, the business side of things, kind of the boring side of things, you know, the, the how to reach this everything. But this is going to take people to the next level with ideation, creation, iteration, product variations, mindset, how to impress companies with your mindset where you're just looking like a pro, not looking like an amateur. And that's what you guys are going to get into, the, the details of the inventing and ideation, creation, all that. And couldn't you guys couldn't have two better people to teach you that? Um, anything you guys want to say anything in closing or? I'm just I'm really excited. You guys are in for a treat. I've had countless hours of Ed to myself with brainstorming and and chatting and working on projects. And so, um, if you have not had the opportunity to work with Ed, um, this is this is it. I, I owe a lot of where I have gone in the last few years to Ed, and it's it's really amazing to be able to do this with Ed because, like I said again, he was a mentor, and now we're friends. Like Andrew says, we're buds, right? So so now we're doing this together, and there's a lot to be learned here. Um, I feel like I'm proof of what Ed can teach. <laughs> um, not all my products are on the market yet, but but there's seven games and toys in the last year and a half, which is a lot for a toy and game inventor. Um, so you're gonna learn it all and really quick, and you're you're just you're gonna have an amazing toolbox. So I would say, if you're teetering on this, make it happen. 
and you're you're going to walk away with a lot of good information and then a kick butt game just ready in time for the whole pitching season because the toy industry is going to be on fire ready ready for ideas well and i just want to add that all of you today april's been exactly in your footsteps april has walked that path she knows the frustration she can speak to it she's made the pitches she makes pitches every day right she's always at it and she knows she can speak exactly to that she can say i hear you guys i was there three years ago i hear you guys i was there two years ago she knows exactly what you're feeling um and and she's pivoted and she's and she's flexed and she's done the things that have made her successful so when she says i understand what you're saying i see that you've made that game i know why you think it's great but let's just look and see if we can't make it a little better it's because she's been there she has that experience. Yeah, that's why you guys together doing this program is great. Because people are like, well, Ed, you're an expert. You know, you, 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 you were broken in 20 plus years ago. And, but April's recent, so she can, she can speak to the recent, her recent experiences. But you, you're, you know, you've got decades. Well, and experience. that's true. Like, Ed went to school for design, right? And I... I was one with no experience, right? So, so I have a, a degree in education, and I'm a mom of four. That that's my degree right there. But you can go, you can start from no experience in this industry and have several deals in years, and even faster if you go through a program, maybe even right. Like you just never know what can happen when you take the time and invest in yourself, right? and invest um, in your education in this industry. And so, you know, thanks for pointing that out too, Ed, because that's important to, to point out that I, I started with one silly game that I thought was amazing. <laughs> and um, it wasn't, guys. Yeah. Was, I think having you guys okay, together were- Really nice about it, but it was not a very good idea. <laughs> and I recognize it now because of where I've come, I've grown, I know what makes a better idea and what goes in, what's involved to, you know, making that, those ideas better. So, so I think that's a very important uh, yeah, point. Yeah. Okay, cool guys. I want to remind everybody to take care, keep inventing. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, April. And we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye. Bye, right, bye guys. Click the link.